I don't exactly remember the parenting call that I had gotten wrong, but there was a protest amongst my children. That's not fair. And I began thinking about that word fair. And so while they were protesting about all the reasons why that wasn't fair, I just uh, opened my little black folder that I had there on the table and I began writing some numbers. The numbers that I was writing were uh, the numbers for our household budget. And they got done. I said, well, that's okay. If we want, we want to be fair, I certainly want to be fair. So uh, here is uh, all of our household expenses. And you being one-fourth of this family, here is your bill. Uh, my le- children learned uh, very quickly uh, that we don't believe in fairness. Uh, in fact, we tell them quite often that they live uh, in a benevolent dictatorship. It's my supposition that uh, the more mature we become as a Christian and in our walk with Christ, the less concerned we become with fairness and justice. When we understand uh, truly how merciful and benevolent and graceful God has been to us through Christ. Um, the, more, the, the more deeply to the cross we cling, uh, the more we understand uh, that though God is just, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. If you will open your Bibles to John chapter 7, we're going to be just in the very last verse of John chapter 7 tonight. Uh, and then we're going to step into John chapter 8. Probably one of the better known stories from John. We've talked about it before. Uh, And we'll study together uh, what Jesus is trying to teach as we continue on our journey with John. We're looking at the life of Christ, the ministry, uh, through John's eyes. And John has a very unique perspective compared to the other Gospels. And so uh, in John chapter 7, toward the end of John chapter 7, we are after basically a week of celebration at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And everyone sort of goes back to life as normal, um, except for Jesus. John chapter 7 tells us that he went back to the Mount of Olives. Later that morning, he went to teach at the temple. At the temple were two crowds that morning and two very different purposes in each of those crowds. One crowd was gathered to hear Jesus teach. And when another crowd gathered They came to test Jesus, to trap Jesus using human bait. Both of those crowds would receive a lesson on justice and mercy that I hope they did not forget, and I hope that we will not forget either. You'll turn, uh, read along in the text. I will read from John chapter 7, verses 53 uh, through chapter 8, verse 11. Then they all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, What do you say? They were using this question as a trap 
in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. She said, then he said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The context of this story is that Jesus was in a pretty dry valley. If we look through the book of John, chapter 6, verse 66, as we've already talked about, says that many disciples had fled, had turned away from Jesus and no longer followed him. At the beginning of chapter 7, we're told that Jesus did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him. In chapter 7, verse 5, John tells us that even his own brothers did not believe him. In chapter 7, verse 20, the crowd called out to him, You are demon-possessed. Who is trying to kill you? So he has been deserted. People are looking for a way to kill him, to end his life. He's, he's made a lot of the wrong people upset. He's disturbed their world greatly. His own family has not been a great support and didn't believe in him and didn't put their faith in him. And many of the people that are just kind of watching at a distance, looking at this obscure, interesting, unique rabbi, I begin to wonder if he's really Lord or just a lunatic. Perhaps seeing the coming difficulty in Jerusalem, or maybe just dealing with difficulty as Jesus did, he goes off to the Mount of Olives. In my mind, I have no doubt for a night of prayer. And as he comes back, we learn a lesson. Now, I have no doubt either that Jesus knew this trap was being set. But I think it's interesting uh, what he, how he turns it on them and then what he uses it how he uses it to teach us. He has a difficult choice uh, as this woman is there. Justice or mercy is what they ask. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act. In the law of Moses, we are commanded to stone such women. Now what do you say? Uh, They are exactly right. Adultery was, uh, well, it's one of the basic Ten Commands, the Seventh Commandment, in fact. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says, You shall not commit adultery. Adultery is one of those sins that not, doesn't just hurt you and hurt your relationship with God, but it hurts another. It's a breaking of the covenant. It's a wounding of the heart. Uh, perhaps you've experienced that. I hope not. Or perhaps you've had the unfortunate experience of being cheated on, maybe in you're a dating relationship or something. And if you've ever experienced that, 
you know there is no deeper kind of hurt than to feel like you were loved, feel like you were committed to, and realize that was false. In fact, God used the picture of adultery uh, through several of his prophets to convey what Israel had done to him over and over and over again. He said, you're not just setting up idols. You're not just building up Asherah poles and, and, and worshiping these foreign gods. What you're doing to me is a being unfaithful to the covenant that we're in together. The, probably the, the best known one uh, is Hosea. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2 of Hosea says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. What he was trying to tell us uh, through the prophet and through uh, saying again and again how unfaithful Israel had been, what he was trying to tell Israel uh, was how brokenhearted he was that they had left uh, their first love, that they had pursued other loves who he knew would be hurtful to his beloved. Then we have the crowd, and they are convicting death. They, they, they want to see a stoning. Uh, she deserved it, according to the law. They are right. Uh, however, they do not seem interested in pursuing justice against both parties. Uh, the, the, the law that deals with the punishment for adultery is found in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It says there, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. So on the surface, it may seem like they are legitimately concerned about justice. Uh, as you dig deeper, you understand they're not concerned with justice at all, or there would be two people present. No, this is a trap. Uh, this is a trap for Jesus and forcing him to choose between the Roman law, and the Roman authority, uh, or the Jewish law, the, the law given by God through Moses. If he rejected Moses' law, then he would have been uh, labeled a heretic and lose a great deal of credibility if he, re if he refused to uphold it. And if he upheld Moses' law and gave uh, his okay to stoning, that was the one thing that Rome was supposed to be in charge of. Uh, that was why when Jesus was, uh, when they went through the mockery of a child, they eventually brought him to Pilate because they were the ones that had the final say on capital punishment. And so it was really, honestly, putting Jesus between the proverbial rock and a hard place. If he chooses justice, if he chooses uh, to deliver justice, it's, it's worse than just Rejecting Rome, it, it, it's a woman's life hanging in the balance. can only imagine what's going through her mind. Certainly she's embarrassed. Uh, perhaps she has a reputation of this way. Perhaps people knew. Perhaps not. Uh, she's embarrassed emotionally. Certainly she's probably uh, scantily clad. And uh, just she's embarrassed to be there, as anyone would be. But if he chooses mercy and he says, no, no, guys, we're going to let this one go, 
he loses all credibility. In an interesting sort of way, what Jesus chooses is both. Uh, chapter six, I'm sorry, chapter, chapter seven, verse six says they were using this as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus went down and started to write on the ground with a finger, with his finger. What did he write? Well, that's the great mystery for the ages. Uh, no commentator. I mean, they all have a guess, but uh, I think it's just one of those things God puts in there so that maybe we wonder ourselves. I kind of wonder if he's just making them sweat. Maybe he's writing some of their names and some of their hidden sins. Who knows? Uh, then he says, if any one of you is without sin, be the first to throw a stone at her. And so he upholds justice, but he sort of upholds it on a condition. If you're the one without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Now, according to the law, the witnesses of any crime, particularly this one, uh, were to start the process of punishment. And that's what Jesus is upholding as well. It's a different crime, but it's described in Deuteronomy chapter 13. It says, if your very own brother or your son or daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let us go and worship other gods, you must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death, and then the hands of all the other people. So Jesus is is reminding them that, okay, if if you're going to stand behind this, you go first. Uh, This part of the law, of course, kept false witnessing down, or at least it was supposed to, uh, because they they, they really had to own it if they were going to make a a high accusation. As certainly scribes and Pharisees, they knew this part of the law. And then, uh, verses 8 through 11, the older ones go away first. And I always think that it's interesting that John puts that there. Because I do think that's true. I think the older and wiser you become, hopefully, spiritually speaking, um, you realize uh, just how much your debt has been paid and just how much mercy God has shown you. The woman awaited their response, wondering, maybe sort of uh, wincing, wondering if a rock would come across her way. Where was justice? Justice was standing right beside her. Her justice, our justice, were ultimately played out through Jesus, fulfilled at the cross. When he paid every debt, he fulfilled the entirety of the law, the law that stood opposed to us, and he nailed it to the cross. And then as the older ones leave and the younger ones realizing that they probably have no place to throw a stone either, uh, I only imagine Jesus and this woman left surrounded by a pile of dropped stones. A uh, weird sort of memorial to mercy. Where are they, sir? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus, of course, did not condone adultery. He didn't want that for her, but that had already been committed. And so he shows her a beautiful act of mercy 
And then an act of wisdom and counsel. And he says, leave what's hurting you. Don't do this anymore. Don't allow your life and your behavior to bring you back to this point. Leave your life of sin. God shows both beautiful justice and life-changing mercy through his son. And of course, we know how that ultimately plays out. I want you to turn to um, an Old Testament psalm. I guess they're all in the Old Testament. Psalm 103. And I'm going to start reading in verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Praise God for that. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. We're reminded over and over again that God is a God of both justice and mercy. And that's a beautiful picture to read. Um, a moment when I read Psalm 103, I think of a time uh, when my son did something that was very wrong. And uh, he was expecting the rod. And I... I came downstairs, and uh, I came into his room, and he, he was basically ready to receive punishment, sort of, sort of gearing himself up mentally for that. We talked about it for a while, and um, I don't know why, I just called an audible in the moment. I, I knew his heart, I knew what he had done was wrong, but I said, Tyler, you understand that I can and have every right to give you the rod. You did wrong here, and, and that deserves punishment. I said, tonight, I'm just going to show you mercy. Because I want you to understand what it means to not get what you deserve. Now, um, I do remember that moment, but I guarantee you, he remembers it more. Many times he has come back to that moment when he, when we talk about what it means to show mercy. Jesus described it as a person owing a great debt. The one who has been forgiven much loves much. You see, it's not just that Jesus and God are a God of justice and mercy. He calls us as a people to be a people of mercy. When we recall what's been done for us and how what we deserve was not given to us because of what Jesus did, we're called to be just the same. Turn to Romans chapter 12.
The Apostle writes in verse 17, Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's more than just understanding that God is a God of justice and mercy. It's understanding that he calls us to the same kind of mercy and grace that he showed us. You see, it's a beautiful thing to think about the mercy and the grace that we've received. But it's a very challenging thing to be told that if we want to receive that kind of mercy and that kind of grace, the cost, the condition of it is simply this. We must be willing to overflow with it to others. Jesus said in Luke 6, be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. May we learn the lesson that Jesus taught uh, there in the temple. I hope it was a lesson they did not forget. I pray to God it is a lesson we will not forget. Tonight I want to call you, um, if you have not received the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, that you can receive that. Uh, You have messed up, we all have. But because of what he did, and because of the sacrifice he made, we are not treated as our sins deserve. Praise God for that. And even more than that, we are given far greater blessings. That is known as grace. Not just the forgiveness of sins, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not just mercy and and release from punishment, but new life in Christ. And tonight, that invitation is still yours. The invitation that was made to the woman is the invitation that is made to you and I. If you are ready to leave your life of sin, I bid you come. Accept the mercy and the grace of Jesus as together we stand and sing.